1: In the South, it's always college football season, and the King of College Football reigns supreme all year long. Now, more college football talk with the King of College Football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today.
2: Hour two of Chuck Oliver Show on a Monday, and I was mentioning, for instance, Auburn week from today we had zach blackerby on locked on auburn what he does among other things he's like a lot of folks uh tim brando was on way 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 back in about 20 years ago tim brando was on the station where i was and he said number one piece of advice build a quilt an employment quilt get checks coming in from as many different places as possible uh that was i was like that guy's on like major network tv and he's saying that so zach blackerby among other things he does locked on auburn so i appreciate him coming on and Auburn will start spring practice week from today. There are, like, like Bowling Green, they're almost done. In fact, Bowling Green started before signing day. I always thought, now I don't know that that's going to, I, I don't know, pay a bit, uh, you know, dividends for them, but. There was a year when I'm going to say like signing day is always the first Wednesday of February, and it was like February 2nd, let's say. Army and Duke started two days later. Signing class, 48, all right, practice field. Duke had the motivation of they wanted, <laughs> y'all know why Duke wanted it. Start it started early, get it done early. We got March Madness. Now, the ACC tournament is in Greensboro this year, so don't even think of having... So, you just you had to build around it. Bowling Green is almost done. Hawaii's almost done. In fact, Hawaii gets done. They're the first. I said, you know, Auburn starts on uh, the 27th. Michigan starts today, for instance. Uh, if you just want, like, Kentucky starts, their announced date at least is March 6th. Hawaii and Bowling Green will have had their spring game by then. It is just, it's one way to skin the cat. And the if you think, why is there so much variance? Because how coaches structure and schedule spring practice, there's nothing in college football that has as, as wide a variance as that. Not offenses, not uniforms. You got to figure in, so that's an exaggeration, but you got to figure in so many things. And if you're Duke, you have to figure in all of March Madness. I've told you the story. I was at North Carolina one Saturday and I had been going through the state anyway, but I had called North Carolina just to confirm. I was like, now Saturday, what time is the spring game? And it was like April 4th or 5th or something. It was a Saturday and I was just on my way through. I was starting that morning in Wake Forest at their Pro Day, and then they're having a spring practice later. But And they're still like a week out of their spring game, but North Carolina was having their spring game that day. I was like, all right, I'll be in Winston-Salem, and I'll shag tail over to Chapel Hill, and I'll get there for the spring game like one. Well, normally you just call, and they're like, yes, yeah, that's, you have the correct time, and we'll leave something at the media will call and hang up. And that's all it is. I got a call back that Friday. Hey, this is so-and-so, North Carolina uh, uh, media relations. So, you're coming tomorrow, right? And I was like, uh, yeah, can I still come? Are you, uh-huh? He's like, yeah. Oh, I just wanted to make sure you're still coming. I was like, well, how courteous. No, North Carolina made the final four, so all the media that Norman covers the Tar Heels, football, basketball, out- fencing, equestrian, if you cover sports or, I don't know, living in North Carolina and the Tar Heels are in the Final Four, guess where you are? You're at the Final Four. I showed up for the spring game. There's nobody there, like, in the stands, it's like 2,000 people, and because everybody went to the Final Four. It might have been – was there a Yukon pit, North Carolina? Um, and so they were in the Final Four. And nobody showed. I was like, Butch Davis. I walked right up to him. I called my program director. I was like, I just got 12 minutes of Butch Davis. He's like, really? I was like, I know. Call me by name. I've always liked Butch, but I didn't know him. Chuck, you came from Atlanta. I was like, ooh. All right, let's talk. It's because nobody was there. So you have to work around external events. Do you also know what's the University of South Carolina, when I talk about external events, South Carolina, do you at least know what – now, they got blindsided one year. They scheduled their spring game, and I'll say, in the history of South Carolina athletics, you were probably okay. They got blindsided, had the spring game on the same Saturday that the men's basketball team was playing in the Final Four, and I think it was in Phoenix that year, maybe. Dan, was it in Phoenix? And so they – or Glendale or wherever – And so they had a spring game and they're like, we really didn't consider if the men's basketball team was in the final four, because it's not what we do here. And so they just got blindsided. Do you know what doesn't blindside you in Columbia? The masters. They'll look at the masters schedule and go, when is it? Yeah, no. Uh-uh. External factors, factors that aren't on the school calendar. Then there's spring break and finals. So that is on the school calendar. So you have external stuff. You got stuff on the school calendar. And you got to figure out all that. Credit Bowling Green and Hawaii and Georgia State. They're like, yeah, we're going to have these kids locked, loaded, done, and spring practice complete before spring break. And then there are others going to say, you know what, we're not even going to start till after spring break. <laughs> San Jose State says we'll start April 4th. They will still be in spring practice when the portal reopens at San Jose State. So a lot of different ways to do it, and and that is how they are uh, choosing a San Jose State, at least. But I'd ask you about the Auburn date, and that's a week, and that's kind of a normal thing. Here is the one thing, last thing about spring practice dates. When you see, for instance, uh, I mentioned Georgia State. Now, you talk about putting some bacon grease on it. You have a set number. You have 15 practices, and you might have, like, 32 dates unless you get the asterisk, and I'll come to that. Um, but you had a certain number of days to fit all these in unless you're going to bridge spring practice. So, like, Georgia State started February 13th. They go to March 9th. Uh, you'll see Southern Miss starts February 23rd. They don't have their spring game till like, Yeah, spring game April 1st. They have their final practice April 4th. Southern Miss is like, yeah, we're going to have like three practices. Get everybody set. Say, all right, now take your iPad playbook home. And during spring break, and some of them won't. Some of them will. Take your iPad home and remember what we did in these three practices. And then then come back ready to work. And they're going to have a spring game April 1st and then a cleanup practice on the 3rd and the 4th and then boom, done. That's a way to run it. So a lot of different options and they all can be right. Uh appreciate everybody coming here. Uh there is an example ones and we've been talking schedule all day. Not any specifics. I think that you know Dan said he would bet his Chuck Oliver Show pension on it being a nine game three permanent six rotating model. And so there is a a a, a an example that Greg Sankey keeps setting that I am surprised more mm, movers and shakers, Marcus, in the sports world don't pay attention to. And he actually, sometimes it's nuanced, and you're like, what does Warren Buffett do that's so successful? And you have to read like seven books about him, and you go, oh. Greg Sankey actually said the words. He told everybody the secret sauce. It would be like Colonel Sanders going, all right, here are the 11 herbs and spices. Greg Sankey in July, first week of August, two thousand twenty. Do you know what Greg Sankey said publicly? He revealed he opened he opened the briefcase, and you found out what Marcellus Wallace wanted. July two thousand twenty. Greg Sankey said, "Quote: If you have runway, why don't you use the runway?" If you have additional time, use the additional time. If there's nothing gained by leaping right now, well don't leap right now. All just sit. Just do nothing. Kevin Warren like there was a starters going, And the decision races started. Greg Sankey's like, "No." Yeah, runway. Greg Sankey and the SEC, for whatever it's worth, I mean, somehow he may wind up different challenges. Different challenges. Greg Sankey's challenge is how to keep the SEC going. Mike Slive's challenge was get everybody off probation. That was his word, by the way. Um, Greg Sankey has somehow exceeded different challenges. Um The job that Mike Slive did as SEC commissioner. In that, Mike Slive, he had a huge, 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 like big moment when he just sat still and watched the Big Ten network turn on a faucet and just, I mean, shoot $1,000 bills down the drain for like a couple of years. And it was money, money, money. Oh, well, these boutique networks, yeah, will they work? Yes, they will. But. It didn't work at first because nobody had really done it, and certainly not on that scale. The Longhorn Network didn't count. I... Dan, did your parents ever get the Longhorn Network? I believe so. They are Dish, and I think Dish had it from day one. See, that's an issue. You're supposed—I uh, think so. You're in Texas, and it's the Longhorn Network. You're supposed—he's to be like, oh, maybe. Uh, what anything on it? Not really. Not enough. So the Boutique Network thing, it was the wilderness. And Mike Slive was like, yeah, we're not going to go first. We're going to let the Big Ten go first. Then they went. Well, of all the lessons or the observations or all the just sit quietly and learn that Greg Sankey did, boy, he will wait and wait, and then he will break out lightning bolts of change. And I mean get it right. And he's done it again. The schedule As it exists right now, do you know how often it could have been changed over the last couple of years? With anticipation, with trying to get ahead, with going to pods instead of divisions, with going to the single division model earlier than maybe you are choosing to now, if that's what it is. There could have been so many changes that then you would have either undone or announced but then changed before it was ever implemented. And it's a small look and the SEC in a small conference. The Big East, if you remember, there was a Big East football conference. They had a parade for TCU. 2011, TCU's joining. 2012, TCU's not coming after all. TCU paid an exit fee to a conference they never joined. Never played a game in the Big East. Got a better offer and said, tip. Big East said, you have to pay us. And they laughed and said, here's $5 million. You're so precious. The Big E's, that was a small look. Pomp and circumstance, 2011. Egg everywhere, 2012. Do you know what happened in 2013? Do you know what happened in 2013? The Big E's played its last season as a football conference, as a real one. Now, let me take that back as a one with a bunch of programs that we have traditionally paid attention to. That was a small look. And you kind of, I think a lot of folks looked at it and went, huh, that's a small look. And that's when programs like Pitt and Syracuse were like, "Mm, yeah, we think we want to get out of this small look conference. We're going to go to a big look conference. Nothing along those lines likely to happen to the SEC. And if it does, it won't be the result of impulsiveness or impatience. Greg Sankey is a my guy. And again and again and again, he sets a great example. All right, we're going to break, we'll come back. Talk more college football next.
1: Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver show on Southern sports today.
2: Marcus Freeman got him an offensive coordinator. And I do believe. That was part of the goal, is to say, all right, we got an say, Let's end this thing. And I don't know who was playing footsie or kicking tires or who just was working a... An, I Actually, there's an example I know of where a head coach called one of his like former assistants who was somewhere else. He's like, all right, how much did the rumor get you? He's like, 400 grand. He's like, I hope you appreciate it. Um, I don't know if the Utah coach ever wanted to leave. I think he did. But... None of it worked out, and so Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman, they wanted to put an end to it, and they also wanted to get the right guy, and they wanted to improve and all those other things, but they also wanted to put an end to it. So uh, they have an offensive coordinator, want to welcome on right now, a guy that we always love talking to, and I appreciate his time every time. From Irish Illustrated, it's Tim O'Malley. Tim, how was your Monday?
3: Uh, Pretty good, Chuck. Just uh, just, just spoke with Marcus Freeman and Jared Parker, so this is well-timed.
2: Uh, Well, talk about the new O.C. because he was the previous tight ends coach. He's been here, there, and everywhere uh, in college football over the last like 25 years. So he's experienced and he knows the game. But this was not the name that either Notre Dame fans or me or maybe even the Notre Dame coach expected to say. Uh, How did we get here and what does Notre Dame have at O.C.?
3: Yeah, I think to to go backwards, I I do think – Ludwig and Colin Klein um, were desired by Freeman. He mentioned they turned down the job, or they he didn't say they turned down the job. He said they decided to stay for reasons that are their own. Um, he mentioned it was not the buyout. We're going to be going, he said, she said on that forever, but hopefully that can stop being talked about when it's not the off offseason. Uh, he mentioned Jared Parker was part of the interview process. And when he was interviewing – this is interesting. When he was interviewing Parker, he thought midway through the interview, I am hiring Jared Parker, even though he had more guys in plan to to speak with. He didn't say anything. He went to bed. He woke up thinking the same thing. So, you know, that, that was that's what Coach Freeman said today. That, I think, can make Notre Dame fans happy if that's how good the interview was. You mentioned he's been all over the place. We actually asked him about it, you know, his, his experience. He has been in offenses anywhere from the air raid to, you know, West Virginia had, had that, the, the real RPO, right, when RPOs were oh, yeah, coming yeah. in. Yeah, he, he's been in 12 personnel. He Of course, Notre Dame had a lot of 12 personnel last year. I, I'm pretty sure that you're going to see more of the pro-style 12 personnel because of Notre Dame's personnel next year. Uh, they talked about enhancing everything. And, of course, there, there was a good follow-up question asked to Marcus Freeman. If you're talking about enhancing everything, you sure have a lot of guys you know well, either from Cincinnati or on your staff last year. So he, you know, he talked about trust being kind of over resume and things like that. I, I think Jared Parker can do a really good job at Notre Dame because they have a lot coming back offensively next year. I think Tommy Reese would have done a really good job at Notre Dame, and that's why when Reese left, I thought they'll be fine next year on offense. They have Sam Hartman, good running backs, good offensive line, and better skill position players. What really will matter is how Parker grows this offense. From what we've seen, not enough perimeter talent and not enough perimeter playmakers in the in the future. I think.
2: Yeah. Not enough. They have guys, they have octane guys. Sure. They absolutely do. Yeah. It just doesn't look like, you know, the LSU or Florida or whoever uh contingency, a lot of seasons. So talk about that is you said that Marcus Freeman, given the personnel there will be more of the same, perhaps more pro look to it. Uh, let's beat you up and you know, on the line of scrimmage a little bit. Uh, that's a great approach. Uh, is there an idea though, to say, Hey, let's turn bubbles into punt returns.
3: <laughs> yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, it's, you could argue that Notre Dame's four best receivers or three of their four best receivers have not played or have barely played They're freshmen and a sophomore on the roster. In other words, who will have the best career of all these receivers? The thing is, I'm not sure if, other than Tobias Merriweather, the returning sophomore who barely played, I'm not sure how much of an impact they can all make this year. They're going to get some redshirt sophomores that gained experience. I like Jaden Thomas. I like Deion Colsey. Uh, those guys, as you said, are not turning bubble screens into punt returns, however – That's what they need to recruit more, to. I think that's the plan. Marcus Freeman, as much as he is going to bring talent to Notre Dame, I have to tell you, he really hammers the point home that he always wants to be an O-line-driven and D-line-driven program. That's just not going to change. That's how they work. And when you're an O-line-driven program, you really are a bit of a tight end-driven program, too. And I think Notre Dame has embraced the fact that they can always get one of the best tight ends of the country and always get – some of the best offensive linemen of the country. Now they need a new offensive line coach. They also lost Harry Heastand in this yeah. whole situation. He he would have been back, I believe, with Tommy Reese. I think there was a comfort zone there. Um, so it's enhancement in recruiting, and Look, Sam Hartman is a, all due respect, is a much better college quarterback than Drew Pine. Oh, you're, just see better, you're just going to see a better offense. That, that is, there's no doubt about that. Not to take a single thing away from Parker, you're going to have a better offense than you saw last year at Notre Dame.
2: All right, last thing, and uh, you do not work for like Roll dot com or anything. But I'm going to ask you about Tommy Reese, um, and I trust you. You know, not to be a pinata to a guy on the way out the door, but uh, you like you had a, I'll say, a pretty standard reaction. Eh, I'm good. Uh, when Tommy Reese left, no disrespect in the world. Uh, what do you think Alabama gained in the OC? Uh, we got about two minutes, so you can run a little bit. Yeah, you know he is—he's is an up-and-coming guy in this profession.
3: I think. Look, Tommy Reese. Is like, people that don't like don't, don't like Tommy Reese, they're going to get mad listening to this right now. I think Tommy Reese is a very good play caller. He he needs different personnel. Like, he is going—he's an innovative guy. There is a lot of pre-snap motion. If Alabama ends up liking their quarterback this year. I know they have a competition. You're going to see a heck of an offense at Tuscaloosa. I, I will not pin you out of Tommy Reese, as you said. He's He is a always going to be on the cutting edge of what is going on in the NFL, and he can bring that to the SEC. He was trying to bring that to Notre Dame. I really think if they had better wide receivers, and a better not even better wide receivers, if you had Sam Hartman, if you had the Tyler Buckner you hoped he could be instead of the developmental player he was, if you just had a better quarterback, He's always going to have personnel down there. I like Tommy Reese in Alabama. I like Tommy Reese in Alabama for two years and then going on to be a quarterback coach in the NFL and then five years, six years later, becoming a coordinator in the NFL. Now, I said eh because I think a lot of guys can coordinate offenses in college football and you can't lose your mind when Tommy Reese leaves Notre Dame. You have Sam Hartman, you have a guy like Jared Parker or you brought in Andy Ludwig. I think he would have been a great fit at Notre Dame. Coach Parker said it today. He said, I have a lot of respect for many coaches in this profession, so I am always trying to learn. I, he doesn't think he's the smartest no. guy in the room. That might be the biggest change. He doesn't think he's the smartest guy in the room. That guy, there, There's a, there's one pinata shot right there.
2: You know, I and you mentioned like West Virginia Rich Rod back in the day, or maybe Gus for a minute, or Michael Oxley at Illinois. Yeah. I've talked, like there are very few times when a guy has some transformational X's and O's. Most of the times it's just good coaching. Uh, Tim, I appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Hey, thanks a lot, Chuck. We'll talk to you. Tim O'Malley, get him on Twitter, Tim O'Malley, Indy, Irish Illustrated. Most times it's just you're a good play caller. You're not necessarily an innovator, and uh, you have a brand-new set of X's and O's. Um, Most times it's you're really good at repetition, drilling, et cetera, and you've taken something you've seen somewhere else and sort of morphed it and amoebed it into what you want to do on offense or defense.
4: family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best
1: now back to southern sports today and the chuck oliver show
2: it's monday on the chuck oliver show and i appreciate y'all coming here for your college football talk nine states and 56 sticks dan and david we should be proud jimbo still carries the day jimbo fisher still carries the day And I say media-wise, fan attention-wise, et cetera, it's still Jimbo. Do you know one way that I can say that so confidently? I say that confidently because looking at last year's SEC Media Day schedule and the recently released SEC Media Day schedule for 2023, I see that on a same three-person day from 2022, we had Brian Kelly and Eli Drinkwitz, fine coaches, good programs, great program, LSU. Uh, but that was Lane Day, that was Lane Kiffin Day. Two thousand, they put, they have one coach at least every one of the four days. You're gonna have one guy. They're like, all right, this is Kirby Day, this is Saban Day. This year, they also have Eli and Brian Kelly on the same day. It's the first day, and they have Jimbo. That's Jimbo Day, folks. That's not Brian Kelly Day or Eli Day. Just like last year, it wasn't. It was Lane Day. This year, same two. Boom, put Jimbo in. Next day's Kirby Day. Thursday's Lane Day this year. Jimbo still carries it, man. To a degree, it's A and M. To a huge degree, it's Jimbo. That's how they decided SEC Media Days: the coach, not the program. If you didn't know that, that's why Auburn is on the same day as Georgia because it's Kirby Day, and they're like, "All right, well, let's keep some of the national media here." I want to welcome on right now? A guy does a great job talking Aggies. Aggie yell. That's the name of the website. It's that rivals joint. That whole network of sites they got for everybody. It's Mark Passwaters. Mark, how are you? Hey, Chuck, what's going on? Doing all right, Jimbo. Uh, the 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 shine is still there despite last season. Uh, he still carries the day. Did you pay any amount of attention to the SEC Media Day schedule release? It's one of those things like when fans get a notice of when they're going to mail out tickets or so. Uh, it's just kind of on your calendar. Uh, any thoughts about that? Uh,
5: yeah, uh, I definitely took a look, and I got a good laugh when I saw that Jimbo was on Monday and Lane was on Thursday. Uh, you know, there's so much love there. So much, uh, they won't even you know, pass in the hall. <laughs> yeah. So much mutual admiration between the two. I would think that, you know, it would be a given that you would have them back to back. Right. Uh, no. Um, you know, the, the mutual lack of admiration society, there basically behooved the conference to say, okay, you are at the start, you are at the end and never the twain shall meet. So I got a laugh out of that. Uh, You know, and it's also interesting that, you know, Jimbo went from the very last guy last year to maybe the very first guy this year. So I think that, uh, you know, they they want to get it warmed up uh, in an interesting way. And, uh, you know, I don't think that there's any better way than uh, having the national media sitting there looking at Jimbo going, hey, what the heck's going on here?
2: So, Mark Passwaters about uh, Jimbo Fisher and the Aggies as they look ahead. They got about a month before they start spring practice. What is Jimbo and the staff? What are they working on right now in the month lead-up? What are what What is the focus for the the four weeks before they hit the field?
5: Uh, Right now, it's conditioning. Uh, Basically, they're they're doing their fourth quarter drills and and things like that. Nothing with pads, obviously. Uh, You know, outside of that, I think it's just basically prep. I th- this spring practice is probably the biggest for a and in a long time because I think there are going to be a lot of guys who are auditioning for jobs, especially for backups, because A&M was kind of hesitant in the portal, but I think that after spring ball, if they get a pretty good evaluation of where things stand, especially at places like linebacker and on the offensive line, they may be a little more active in the, the second period when the portal's open. So, it's going to be real interesting. I think they've got a lot of evaluating to do, new coaches to do that evaluating. Uh, you know, they got a lot of swing line.
2: I want to ask, can Bobby Petrino fix the offense? But I need to sort of, if I could get a lead in, why does the offense need fixing beyond injuries and youth and whatever else? I mean, what, what about Jimbo's? Because this is going to be Bobby's play sheet and offense and whatever else. Um, why did it need fixing so badly?
5: I think that it just got stagnant. I mean, you take a look at it, you go back and you look at the plays from when they won the national championship at FSU, they were the same plays they were running last year. You look at the the season where AM went 9-1 and one and was fourth in the country, same play. And after a while, teams just adapt. And you know as well as anybody that this is a league where imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. So a lot of his stuff already got stolen. They already know what it is. So they had to make a change because – Things just were, were not working. It was stale, it was stagnant, and it was frustrating, I think, both for the fans and the players.
2: Uh, old Miss, Connor Wegman, is that like a weekly week, uh, week-to-week thing, or uh, what do you think is the realistic sort of consistent blue sky for him?
5: Well, if you get old Miss, Connor Wegman every week, you're going to win the national championship. Oh. Uh, but, uh, you know, you look at what he did, eight touchdowns, no interceptions for a true freshman thrown in the fire like that. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. I think that he's solid. I think that, uh, well, actually much better than solid. Putting him in Petrino's scheme, uh, a little more wide open, a lot of use of receivers and motion and things of that sort, I think it'll work well for him. And, you know, don't forget, the guy can run the ball a little bit. And we've seen what uh, Petrino can do with a running quarterback, uh, say Lamar Jackson. Uh, We've been at that level, but he can make some plays with his feet. So, if you're a quarterback, this is probably a very good situation to be going into now.
2: All right, talk uh, either perimeter or offensive skill talent, whatever basket you want to put some of these guys in. Because um, I was honestly shocked uh, with Anaya Smith, um, and even if you want to go like Evan Stewart and the young kids or whatever, just a, it's a it's a little bit of a gumbo.
5: Yeah, I mean they. I think at receiver they got a lot of talent. It's just depth. That is the concern right now. I mean, Anais was going to come back because he got his NFL draft evaluation. It was basically, we're worried about your ankle. You're not going to go as high as you think. And that for that kind of forced him to come back, That's which is great giant. for Anais. Yeah. You get him. You got Moose Muhammad. You got Evan Stewart. That's as good as three wide receivers that you can run out there to start as anybody in the conference has right now. So then you got them, and then you've got – uh, Noah Thomas, big guy who played well last year. Uh, Micah Tease and Raymond Cottrell, both four-star receivers. And then they got Tyron Johnson, who's a smirk. He's a,
2: he's a good player. He is. Oh, yeah. I mean, 1,000 yards with UTEP.
5: I mean, they've got guys who can make plays, and I think that Petrino's offense will give them the ability to make those plays. So, if I'm Wigman and I've got those guys and i got Donovan Green and Jake Johnson at tight end, you know, I, I'm liking what i got. I'm just praying. That there aren't any injuries like last year, because if they stay healthy, they have weapons.
2: Uh, Ruben Owens, I five-star running backs don't usually go to Louisville, and I was like, all right, well, it's a new day. Well, he's not going to Louisville; He's going to Texas A&M. Um, just I, it's I don't know if you've seen the kid ever in person, even at a camp, uh, much less carrying the ball against SEC players. Oh. But uh, just what is the the potential for him as a as a freshman this year, or is there?
5: Oh, I think that uh, there's not only potential, there's there's high potential for him. Because they've got to replace Devon A. Chang, which is no mean feat. Uh, they've got Amari Daniels. They've got Le'Veon mm-hmm. Moss, both of whom flashed last year. But the the, the early vibe out of the, the camp in spring so far, before they really get serious, is how good Owens looks. He's faster than they thought. Uh, he's in great physical shape. With a guy that kind of bounces around, you have the commitment to Texas, then the commitment to Louisville. You kind of wonder about, you know, the level of dedication a guy may have. That's not a problem with him. He's shown a lot of drive. He's been good in the weight room, yes sir, no sir kind of guy. Uh, You know, he's he was the number one running back in the country according to Rivals this year, and he's showing that potential, you know, in small bursts already. So I'm excited to see what he does next month when camp starts.
2: Last question for you, and this is speculative. Uh, Texas A&M, when Greg Sankey and the SEC announces the schedule, if it is the we're just talking today, the 3-6 model, um, obviously I would say Texas and I would say LSU as two of Texas A&M's permanent opponents. Am I right about that? And who would Mark Passwaters assign the third slot to?
5: Uh, I would assign it to Arkansas, but nobody's asking me. Uh, And, you know, hey, Greg, come on, give me some love, man. I mean, we've been at this for 10 years now. But, uh, you know, I think that it's going to end up being Mississippi State. And that's simply because you take a look at the situation that State's in, and they just don't have that natural inherent third rival. They've got Ole Miss for sure. They can – somebody like a you know a Tennessee or a Vandy, but then who else is there? So I think it's going to end up being Mississippi State. And Jimbo kind of spilled the beans on that last year. He mentioned it in passing at a, a press conference that he said it was – that he thought it was going to be Texas, LSU, and, and Mississippi State. And when you just look at it, you know, the way things are set up, I think that, uh, you
2: know, it, it's going to be the Aggies and the Bulldogs. All right, brother. I appreciate the input. You have a wonderful Monday, man. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Take care. Yeah, Texas A&M that you have, <clears throat> obviously, I mean, part of the marquee draw of Texas. Duh. The LSU series revival, which they've had sporadically even before they joined the conference. Like I said, that goes way, way, way back and there's recruiting stuff going on. It was just a just a fantastic – there's a difference. Do we know this? There's a difference between a series and a rivalry. There's a huge difference between a series and a rivalry. So that's what we were talking earlier. Like LSU, I mean, my gosh, LSU, Florida, do you know how many Saturdays I've won because of LSU, Florida, just being scheduled? I was like, this is awesome. They play again. And either the LSU coach or the Florida coach, or maybe both of them are going, yeah, I don't want to play again. So there are just so many, but for Texas A&M, they're going to play LSU. They're going to play Texas. And then they have some history. If you want to link them with some history from the old Southwest, uh, but in even Big Twelve after that, but there is sort of Texas A and M is one that there are some perfectly fine enough choices, and I'm not going to be offended at any of them. I will be a little underwhelmed, like Mississippi State. I'm like, uh, I'm good at it. when I kind of get at the Arkansas, and I can kind of get Missouri or Oklahoma. But, again, too valuable. LSU is the opposite. I want LSU-Florida. I'm not getting LSU-Florida. Because LSU will play Alabama, and LSU will play Texas A&M, and that means LSU needs a little bit of a pass. And Dan's like, yeah, I don't care about Arkansas. We'll play them twice every four years instead of four out every four years. So, LSU, there's like five more that I would love to see them play. Oh, And Ole Miss, I mean, again, see, that's not – LSU has a series with Mississippi State, mid border, right there, right next to each other. Doesn't matter. They have a series. They got a rivalry with Ole Miss, even if most outside the fan base are only sort of intermittently reminded. Oh yeah, yeah, I know about that. So, it's it's possible that you're going to have. An LSU, you're going to have certainly an Alabama, you're going to have a Florida, a Georgia, an Auburn, where you may have three or four series that come to an end, quote, but they weren't really rivals. It was just a good series. All right, we're going to break, and then we will come back and wrap up on uh, this Monday.
1: the king of college football no matter where you go with a new southern sports today app catch the best college football conversation in the south everywhere with the sst live stream and daily podcast downloaded now at the app store and the google play store now more of the best college football talk in the country it's the chuck oliver show what you want to do in my opinion like as an
6: assistant coach serving a coordinator you want to be able to give a couple really good thoughts on run pass or wherever we're headed and then let him filter it down so there's not because during those moments you can almost sometimes get the scope this big, that's hard to attack. So just being able to give thoughts
2: during or not give any thoughts at all at times. Jerry Parker, Notre Dame OC, introductory press conference. Was his basic message there, Dan, don't dress for the job you have? Was it? Pretty much, yeah, I'd was, say dress for the job you want i will say there is a lot of truth to that a lot of value in that um and it's kind of presenting yourself i'm not, not always gonna work mm, i would like to be uh si cover model for that body's issue uh i'm gonna dress for that which means not i'm not gonna get the job in fact i think it's probably gonna go the other way um So that's what you got. (laughs) Jared Parker's your new OC, and he says, uh, I have been preparing for this my entire life. If you watched the XFL at all yesterday, A.J. McCarron got a dub. He plays for a team called the St. Louis Battlehawks. And I'm going to say they were playing the San Antonio Brahmas. I believe the St. Louis Battle Hawks were in the XFL that was playing when the league got shut down. I don't believe the San Antonio Brahmas existed until now, and that is Heinz Ward's team. Folks, I've got a long—I was a big USFL fan back in the day, and here is why that doesn't— You know the one big difference between the old USFL and literally every other— uh, I'll say rival or challenge or additional pro football league since the AFL merger and was announced. The USFL actually tried to take on, like, to try to be another NFL. Every other league, they're trying to play a version of pro football, and here's what they market. Because I, like, I said I was with big USFL fan back in the day, but they were trying to be NFL two uh, arena league stuff. The AAF, the reborn USFL, the XFL, any of the three times. Do you know what the big selling point is? Went to camp with the Cincinnati Bengals. Played four games with the Arizona Cardinals. That's what you always. Do. So the the I think that the San Antonio team may be owned or coached coached uh, by Heinz Ward. Uh, it's it's the association, the NFL Player Association. AJ McCarron showed yesterday I don't know if the guy's gonna win the MVP because they weren't good. They had a big comeback and they wound up winning eighteen to fifteen. And he threw two touchdown passes in the final minute and a half. And they got a different sort of rule book about how you can go for more than two points. So they got the dub. But AJ McCarron made a point yesterday. It's the latest time that I I get reminded of this ever so often that he was a he was an NFL quarterback, and it's just different. When you played in the NFL versus you're 23 and you've been cut twice and you're trying to get there, A.J. McCarron, he, he started in the league. And he had a throwback couple of possessions where you're like, oh, yeah. Told a story before, Tyron Lue, he played in the NBA for about 10 years, and he was just a player. He was just a guy. I was leaving a press conference one time, and he was in the indoor practice gym for the Atlanta Hawks, and I watched him. He stood out from about 24 feet. Beyond the three-point line, he sank a rack of balls, didn't miss. You know why? Because he's an NBA. I was like, oh, yeah, he's an NBA player. Now, there's nobody else on the court. It was just him shooting. Pop, 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 pop. Didn't miss, didn't sweat, and didn't seem very impressed. I'm an NBA player. Of course I did. I was at an uh, adult league baseball game one time. There's a guy named Adrian Devine, and he's Pitcher. And somebody said, hey, you remember Adrian Devine? I was like, yeah, he pitched for the Rangers and the Braves. It's like, that's him over there. I was like, oh. The catcher would move his glove. Adrian Devine would throw a curveball that would sweep in and hit. Now, here's – I was like, oh, my gosh. I was like, wait a minute. He pitched in the bigs for 10 years. And he'd probably been out of the bigs for 10 years. Didn't matter. All it was to him was a catcher moving his – playing target practice. Do you know how easy it is for a major league pitcher – with no hitter, all he's doing is playing target practice with the catcher's glove. Most men pitching in the senior adult league are just trying to not hit the batter. Adrian Devine's up there going move the glove. I can hit it. And it was pop, 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 pop. I was like, oh, yeah, he was a big leaguer. It's just different, man. It's even more different than we realize. AJ McCarron, you know what he was yesterday? He was like, I'm an NFL quarterback. I'm an NFL quarterback. It's just different. There is an even, it's an unreal level, even beyond most of our comprehension, mine included. Because yesterday I was like, oh yeah, (laughs) he's even more different than I realize. So I got so good for him. He got a win, and Catherine Webb was happy, and there were three sons, and so that's that. Dan, how's
6: hey, your Monday? Hey, hey, hey care, careful dropping that name now. I don't want oh, you to pull no, up. Oh,
2: I am not Brent yeah. Musburger. There you go. There you I'm go. Not, is the
6: word creeping? I'm not creeping on Catherine Webb. There you go. There you go. Well, just, you know, I would be remiss as my job as a producer. if I appreciate I remiss, you. Thank you. you know, so I, I just I try yes. to do my best. Uh, Ross Dellinger is the guy that got the uh, college football world going today, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit more tomorrow but some possible rules changes that could be coming with the real idea of let's speed this thing up. Let's get this thing on the right track in terms of actually being able to fit into a window, much like the NFL does with precision, mind you, and I will give Roger Goodell credit for one thing. When he took over as commissioner of the NFL, that was his number one charge. of, so We've got to make sure that these things are much more compact and that we're getting in and out on time in terms of these games going from the 1 o'clock Eastern window to the 4 o'clock, then over to the primetime
2: window that we got gamblers who need to get the next round of action. Well, in. And, and
6: it's also too. I mean, it's, it's incredibly rare that, you know, you look at a game and you say, oh man, that one went the full way of the overtime uh, because that really doesn't happen very often. Somebody breaks through somebody wins. I think that's more or less too. you know, I've seen people throwing out, well, you know, what about all these commercial breaks, especially SEC on CBS? Let me go ahead and tell people right now, get that out of your mind. I think that you probably will see a few more, at least maybe from CBS or somebody like that kind of the in-game breaks, if you will, that we've seen that Fox and, and CBS, most of these networks have done on their NFL coverage because I think they kind of realize, hey, we can't keep doing the stop and start of the car right here and be able to keep a captive audience for so long because it is one of those things that, you know, it seems like CBS gets more of the slings and arrows for it the most of, hey, a player is down with an injury. We'll be back. And it's just like, oh, God, why are we doing this? So if you're thinking that that's going to be a possibility, that's not going to happen. What you do need to do is control the non-build parts of your game where you can be able to speed things up. That's where you're going to be looking at some changes to the time and the way that it's kept.
2: World Series about five years ago, maybe six, was the first time I remember during a visit to the mound. They had like a 15-second A-Rod commercial that would cut in about how to use your Visa card and just tap and get concessions. I was like, okay, that's gonna help me with fewer commercials. And so that's just a one choice. I don't care what it looks like during the walk to the mound or during the replay. Uh, wraps it up on a Monday, Dan, David, everybody. Thank y'all. Back in 22 hours, more college football conversation. Chuck Oliver Show.
4: And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC.